So you heard my name is Christoph. Um, I hope you can bear with the accent. Um, okay, good. Um, so you are continuing, or we are continuing with a series in theology, which is Christian thinking, and um, how it shapes our thinking and how we interact with the world and with the people around us. And I think two weeks ago you had a fellow here called Carl. People remember this, right? Carl gave us a definition about this. He said, theology is our study of God and how we understand him, how God relates to us, and therefore how we then relate to one another. This brings clarity, worth, peace, and forgiveness into our lives. That's what he said. Um, I don't know if you remember. And then the week before, so just last week, you had Tony up here, and she talked about how a good creative God makes a good creation. Um, and this good creator interacts with this creation only in goodness, and so therefore should we. Now, I have been asked by Steve, and I quote, to talk about, quote, the theology around creation, God as a creator, the responsibility humans have to steward the earth, etc., etc., end quote. <laughs> right? In other words, explain why God wants you to hug trees, etc., etc., right? <laughs> Am I not reading that right, Steve? Um, <laughs> no, seriously, our topic is creation tonight um, and what that means. And creation means lots and lots of things, and I can only dip into a few things, um, and we can't really look at all of them. So I've chosen two or three things to look at. I hope you don't mind. Um, and, of course, when we talk about creation, the, the one place where you need to look is not far in the Bible, it's the very first book of the Bible, uh, and it's the first two or three chapters of that book. And so the book of Genesis starts with these very famous lines, you probably know them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering or fluttering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So I won't spend too much time here, but most people on the planet, most people on the planet, as Jews, Muslims, and Christians, we are the majority, believe that our reality is created. That is, that there is an intention and a thought and purpose behind everything. So, in other words, God he thinks, he imagines, and he speaks. And when he speaks, it becomes thought, idea, before matter. This is called idealism, by the way, that ideas are first. And this is the bedrock of our reality. And this is very different from what you learn in school. In school, you learn that the bedrock of reality is stuff. Atoms, matter, particles, material, energy in flux. And that is called materialism, that matter is first. But the Bible and Christians believe that the bedrock of all reality is thought, God's thought, God's word, to be more precise. And this Bible, the scriptures say that in many places. So not just in Genesis 1. So for example, in Romans 11:36, it says, For from him and through him and for him are all things. That's Romans 11:36. Or take John 1, the first chapter of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and here it comes. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So thought before matter. Hebrews 1.3 says, here the writer is talking about Jesus, and he says that Jesus is sustaining, upholding all things by His powerful Word. God's thought, God's um, idea, God's word is prior. That means it becomes, it comes before, it is under all things, it is from which all things come from, and he upholds all things by his word. He keeps everything in existence by just thinking it right now. And which, by the way, is why, you know, when we talk about God creating out of nothing, that's not entirely true, um, because... This word is not made of nothing, it is made of God's idea. Um, and you, th- you might think, yeah, so what? Um, <laughs> right? Well, essentially it means that all this, you and I, we're not just stardust and flux, arbitrary, chaos, randomness. All this, you and I, are God's thought, and we are in God's mind. Really, legit. Right? And if you doubt this, later look at Acts 17, verse 28. Uh, And just as a side note for the nerds among you, perhaps as one or two, um, quantum physics has actually figured this out fairly recently. For the wave function to collapse, you need observation. So you need an observer. If you didn't understand that, that doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) But it means you actually need God, you need an observer for stuff to be there. Right? You can't have just stuff. You need to have an observation first. Um, if that make no sense, ignore. Um, that's really not the main thing I want to talk about. I want to really push through to something else, perhaps a bit more um, uh, ready to grasp. Um, and I'm skipping, by the way, also over the Holy Spirit. You notice the Holy Spirit is in Genesis 1, verse 2. Right? He's fluttering or hovering over the waters. And, you know... It's a bit of a shame that I have to skip over this, but if you think about it, just with two verses, the Bible introduces God to us as a complex, multipersonal being. Just with two verses. The first two sentences, we encounter a God that is multipersonal, complex. Right? Again, I'm skipping over that. I want to read now Genesis 1, starting in verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day, or day one. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, And there was evening and there was morning the second day, or day two. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees, there are the trees, uh, and the land that bears fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. 
and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. The first three days, very familiar passage. Notice, first of all, that there are three days. There are three days. I have a little, there's a slide, I think, I don't know if I came through. This means God creates in sequence. They are altogether, as you know, six days of creation with the seventh day as a day of rest. But the main point here is that God creates in sequence, in a progression. He doesn't create all at once. I don't know if you ever thought about that. He works in increments. He is ordering space. He's moving from chaos to increasing order in steps, in days. Our creator God is a God who makes a separation. He creates, creates patterns. He works according to kinds. He creates order. He works progressively. Order and progression. Big deal. But think again, because this is where, where this now the rubber hits the road. God introduces himself as a creator who does not just snip his finger and everything is 100%. Are you listening? God introduces himself as a creator who does not just snip his finger and everything is 100%. God is a God of progression and processes. And if we are honest, that's not really what we imagine God to be like. Or to be more honest even, that's not what we want. We don't want a God who works in progressions and in steps. We want a God where we snip our fingers and it immediately happens. Right? We want someone who instantly fixes our problems. And we get super upset with God when he does not our, fix our problems in an instant. Right? Many people, probably some of your friends, walk away from God because they are disappointed with him. They prayed and nothing happened. God did not fix the problem immediately, right? But let me be clear. You are disappointed with the wrong idea about God, for God does not introduce himself as a God who just snips his finger and everything is 100%. That's just not the God of the scriptures. That's not the God of Genesis. And this, if you think about Jesus for a moment, that is not how we encounter Jesus. Jesus comes as an embryo, even before that, as a zigot, right? As an embryo, as an infant, as a toddler, as a kid. God doesn't just snip his finger and poof, there is a 30-year-old Obi-Wan Kenobi Jesus, right? <laughs> Two weeks after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, right? Just fixing the problem. No? With Jesus, to save us, he goes through the same process, order and progression sequentially, right? He has to undergo a sequence of events, a progression that culminates in his death on a cross, his resurrection, and then his enthronement in heaven. There is no snipping of fingers here. In fact, that's what Satan tried, him, tried with Jesus. Why don't you just jump off the building and everybody will just applaud you and boom, shortcut. Right? And take yourself as an example for a moment your own walk with the Lord, your own conversion perhaps, your own salvation experience. Is everything 100% in your life now? 
Is it not rather true that God progressively and graciously is fixing you up as you are walking with him? So let me say it again. God introduces himself as a creator who does not just snip his finger and everything is 100%. God is a God of progression and processes. God is a God who progressively brings good order into your chaos and darkness. Hmm. And that's a good thing. And, you know, praise God, he does. So, how then does God bring order? This is, by the way, already the third point. I don't know if you're tracking. <laughs> first point was really, you know, God's thought, God's word is first. Second point is that God works progressively and he orders things. But how does he actually do that? If you study this passage in Genesis 1 more closely, you notice in these first three days that God creates spaces by separating, by ordering, right? He's separating darkness from light, water above from water below, and then he splits water from land. So he creates three spaces, right? And if you look more carefully, and if you, you know, I don't know if you follow along, in verse 14 it goes on. In verse 14, day four starts. What does he do on day four? He puts the sun in the one space he has created, in the, the day, and he puts the moon and the stars into the night space. He's populating those two zones he has created on day one. So day one and day four um, line up. I think there's another slide, Ben. Um, the same with day five. It starts in verse 20, right? On that day, he puts birds in the sky and fish in the sea. He populates those places he has made on day two, places he has made ready. And on day six, he puts animals and people on the land, right? He had prepared the space already with vegetation. It has made it inhabitable. And now it's ready for, for life. Can you see that pattern? God prepares a space. He prepares a context. He prepares the environment. And then he fills that space with life. This is the pattern God uses for most things and especially with our salvation. God prepares, then he fills. The gospel follows the same pattern. Make ready the way of the Lord. Right? John the Baptist comes. Preparation, environment, when the time was fulfilled. Right? Then he brings life. You know this in your own life. He cleanses us with the blood he shed on the cross, he washes us in the waters of baptism in order to fill us with his spirit, right? The spirit of life. Without the spirit of life, you're still dead in your sins. He prepares a context, a space, and then he fills that space. And this happens progressively, right? It's usually not all at once. Most of the time, God does not snip his finger most of you, when you became Christians, it was a journey, right? And you still are. We are still on this journey. We are progressively moving closer into God as he comes closer to us. He progressively brings order, good order, into our chaos and darkness. And you see, therefore, that God doesn't sidestep his creation. He works in it and with it and for it and from it and through it. Let's think about a few implications, and 
perhaps the Holy Spirit has already talking, been talking to you. Um, and if he has, like to you, like if you found a check in your spirit of a thought popped in your mind, if you got excited about something, that's the spirit talking to you. Um, if that happened, don't be a fool. Listen. Don't harden your heart. Respond. And in responding, you're not like the fool who builds his house on sandy ground. Um, so if, you hear, if you're hearing the Holy Spirit, pay attention. I started out by reminding you that reality, this reality, existence, you and I, we are not just stardust and flux. All this, you and I, are God's thoughts, and we are in God's mind. His thought creates and sustains all things. Among other things, this means God is closer to you than you can think, actually. It means that you and your life have deep meaning. There is God's good intention, creativity before you and in you and through you. So whenever you hear or sense his thought, his word, that is more real than the chair you're sitting on. Because that's what upholds the chair, right? And so holding and believing his word, his world-creating word, is not a foolish thing to do. It is the wisest thing you could ever do to listen to his word. Because his word is the foundation of all worlds. So have confidence. You're not a fool by listening to him and following him. There's nothing more substantial you could be doing. The second thing is that we looked at is that God is a God of progression and order. God does not introduce himself as a God who snips his finger. He introduces himself as a creator who does not, uh, who, you know, who does not snip his finger and everything is 100%. He is a God of progression and order. And this means, and this is very annoying with God, this means that God is not in a hurry. Right? Yeah. God is not in a hurry. Um, he's not the kind of God who swoops in on eagle's wings, snips his finger to make everything comfortable for you. Right? Tolkien's eagles, you know, when he rides himself in a corner, the eagles come down and pop everything up and everything is great. Um, this is, oddly enough, is not how God works most of the time. He can, and sometimes he does, but usually not. Right? He does not snip his finger to make everything comfortable for you. God is not an instant, fix-it-now kind of God. Our God works through creation. He works in time, in space, with processes, bringing order into chaos. And you need to know this if you want to save yourself from deep disappointments. And perhaps, I don't know what, you've been, what God is doing right now, perhaps you need to reconnect and come back to God to the God of the book of Genesis and turn away from these false ideas and images that you have about God, this on-demand, instant comfort kind of God of this world. Because that is not the God of the scriptures. That's not the God you see in Jesus. And on the th in the third move, we saw how God brings order. He prepares the environment in days one to three, and then he infills those contexts, those environments with his life. That happens on day four and six, yeah. So God is a God of order who is in 
and over the chaos of our lives and our emotions, yeah? who progressively brings clarity, light, maturity. Right? And first he does that by creating a space, a context, and then life. So give him the time and the space. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with others. True love does not hurry. Say it again. True love does not hurry. Love does not happen in a hurry. True love, in fact, involves you. It does not just do things for you. Initially, it might. So I often take um, my children as an example. You know, initially, when they learn how to tie their shoelaces, you need to help them and show them and do it for them many times. But if I still have to tie the shoelaces of my 18-year-old child, he's not 18 yet, but you know, if they turn adults and I still have to do that, then first of all, I'm a failure as a father. But it also means I have not involved him enough. I'm not really truly loving him. True love involves you. It does not just do things for you. It pulls you into the other. God summons us even to progressively co-work with him. We are even to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, as it says in Philippians. Right? As he is in us, he wants to involve us in bringing salvation to others even. Of course, he could send an army of angels and we'd be done here tomorrow. But that's not how God works. He doesn't snip his finger. He wants to not sidestep his creation. He wants to work through and with and in his creation. Right? Later in Genesis, in 1.28, God invites Adam and Eve, the, the people who were created in his image, to rule the world and to multiply, that is. He's inviting them to co-rule and co-create. Co-ruling and co-creating. That means he's inviting us into this life-giving, good process of bringing order. That's why you and I, and maybe some of you, enjoy Legos, or house building, or gardening, or farming, or music, or painting. That's why we are creative. We are creative beings, and our sense of satisfaction comes from being involved in this ordering, in this creative process. And God invites us into it. He is a God of progressive order. We, most of us, some of us, love to co-create, right? And order the world in the same way. Bringing our imagination into reality by increasing orderly, ordering and manipulating our environment, just like God. And the cool thing, and this is sort of a side note, by the way, the cool thing is this won't stop, ever. God is always good, he's always creative, and he's always loving, which means he will always, in eternity future, pull us into these processes of co-creating and co-ruling. In other words, I imagine, this is my Christoph imagination, I imagine we'll be terraforming galaxies in future to come, not just sitting on the cloud and being bored. God is creative, and he's inviting you into this process, ever creating. How cool is that going to be? Now, let me say a final word about trees. Um, <laughs> since, and I surprised myself when I wrote this down, since God is a God of creativity, since God is a God of progressive order, and since God is a God who brings life out of chaos, 
since God is a God who prepares environments for life to flourish in inviting us into this process for us then to allow the environment to be exploited and destroyed means to effectually revert it to chaos and dust. And that is not just bad stewardship, but it is ungodlike. God prepares environments to fill it with life to flourish. And doing the opposite is not on God's agenda. It is the destroyer and the confuser and the thief who comes in in the night. The instant comfort has God really said, follow your desire right now, kind of God of this world, who ultimately is behind those things. So, ever so often, hug a tree. Right? And know that this tree is God's good idea, given to us to make us flourish. It's a sign of his creativity and love, and it actually is an invitation to follow him, our creator God. So if you have ears to hear, hear. Amen.